Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 179, Outsized, Outmatched, Outnumbered. This week we're discussing season 3, episode 15 of Angel, Loyalty, and season 2, episode 20 of Battlestar Galactica, Lay Down Your Burdens, part 2. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right, so we're starting with uh, Angel. Um, I believe we had an Angel episode last time, right? So um, following up on that, and uh, the last one finished with Wesley's uh, translation of the new bit of the prophecy that he was able to get about right. uh, the father will kill the son, right? So yeah, and kind of we had noted that we hadn't seen Holtz in a while, right? 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 So following up on those, you know, uh, filling in the Holtz story and then kind of the bombshell of what Wesley read. Um, which is not not good, not good for anybody. No. Um, so yeah, this is a, a very Wesley focused episode, which I hadn't thought of it as like a you know Wesley episode before we started talking about how we were going to talk about it. But then, kind of through that, realized like yeah, most of the plots do relate back to him in some version or other like he is interacting with everything or even when he's not there it's about people's thoughts or reactions to him and what their kind of interpretations of that might be um so in a quiet way it kind of is you know a wesley episode Mm -hmm. um and so before we get into going through uh with his character wanted to kind of mention the fact that Cordy and Gru are still on vacation. Yeah. Um, which, you know, is interesting. I think I had assumed uh, that when it came back, it would be whatever, two weeks later, and they're walking in in beach clothes or whatever from like a trip away and, mm-hmm. you know, that we would sort of pick up there, but that's not the case. Um, kind of interesting and i think you would mention like this is really the first episode without cordy um yeah like maybe there were one or two when she was on buffy but if that i mean i don't even really remember that her being missing for much of her time buffy at all i want to say she at least made an appearance in every episode right right like even if she was season three and then has been in every episode of angel right Right. Like, even if she wasn't, you know, a centerpiece of every single episode, right. she at least was present in some form. Um, I, I'm not 100% she, sure on that. I would have to double check that. But I, I want to say that. Yeah. Yeah, that that's pretty. Yeah, I, I, I would I would if if I were to bet on it, I would bet. That if you were that a betting person. Yeah. yeah. No, that seems right. So. Um, yeah, interesting to not have her, you know, in an episode and, but she's still, uh, conspicuously absent, right? Like they still like, Mm -hmm. you know, mention the fact that they're gone and that, um, things have been slow as they said. 
Um, like they haven't had any visions. Like she hasn't sent them any, she hasn't called them with any information. So yeah. Um, it kind of, you know, you, you have to wonder, is she getting visions or not? Maybe she's not. Um, and, or I assume not because I hope she would call if it was something important. Right. Um, and so you kind of get the impression that they're kind of, you know, without much to do, you know, it's like, okay, if a client shows up, we can help them, but we're not really with any, we don't have any missions right now to be sort of, you know, uh, questing after. Sure. So, so they're doing other bits of business. Like Wesley's doing all this, research continuing to just like read and read and read um and angel is taking his you know taking connor to the doctor for checkups and buying him presents with cordy's credit cards you know online and everything um like they're finding other ways to sort of fill up the time Mm -hmm. um so yeah so i kind of wanted to go through the episode with Wesley since he's sort of the center of it. Um, And first just to kind of talk about like the tone of the episode and, Mm. you know, that uh, the, the prophecy that he read about, you know, the father will kill the son is sort of hanging over him, you know, and over the whole episode of he now has this sort of, knowledge that he's burdened with um that he hasn't or can't share you know with the others um and yeah it just makes for a kind of gloomy you know doom-laden kind of feeling um especially I think coming off of the stuff with Fred and the kind of pairing off of some of the the characters in the relationships like you know at the end of the last episode you had Angel being you know kind of disappointed in Cordy getting together with Gru but then you had that kind of light moment at the end where he said you know I'm not alone because I have Connor and so Mm. there's sort of sense of well i i maybe i'm not with i don't have everything i want but i have this sort of other thing in my life which is fulfilling and i have this other relationship of somebody to love and to take care of and you know i don't have to feel lonely whereas like that's not true for wesley like i feel more of a sense I feel more of a sense of loss for him in Fred getting together with Gunn. You know, you have more of a sense of Wesley's sort of isolation and loneliness in that. Um, And that he doesn't have a Connor, you know, he doesn't have this other person to sort of take care of and focus on. Mm -hmm. Um, And he can't even really fully you know, confide in Angel because now he's finding out all of this dangerous, frightening information, which is, you know, because it has to do with Angel and the vampire and with Connor's safety. It's not like he can turn to Angel as like another person to sort of 
confide in. So you get this sense of like, I don't know, like heading towards some sort of breaking point of, you know, can how long can Wesley continue to be like the kind of lonely guy on top, you know, before something I just you just have the feeling of something bad is gonna happen, you know. Mm-hmm. Um and he'll have to tell somebody or something bad's gonna happen before he has the chance to tell somebody what he's learned. Sure. Um yeah, and I think so there's the there's also the reaction, right, that you can expect from Angel. Like like just imagining like what Angel would say if Wesley came to him and was like, Oh hey, by the way, I translated that thing and it says you're gonna kill Connor. Like yeah. you know, I feel like it's not even it, it's not even so much like part of it's like okay, you don't know how or when or whatever. And, and, you know, Mm -hmm. like we'll talk about the Loa later and like he asks those sorts of questions, but like, there's also that thing of like, like, so what, like, even if he translates all this one, there's this sort of, you know, uh, typical squishiness of prophecies, right. Mm -hmm. To, Mm -hmm. you know, the fact that like they can be interpreted in different ways and whatever, but also like, even assuming this is a correct translation, which wouldn't be the first time if it wasn't, right? Like, mm-hmm. like we've seen him not have, you know, right. like Shanshu and and right. not really understanding all of the connotations maybe of, you know, the possible translations or whatever. So, like, that's one aspect of it. You know, he probably just wants to be double, triple, quadruply sure, you know, that he's got it right. But also, like even if he's a hundred percent sure it's like, then it becomes, he has to convince angel and Mm -hmm. angels already. I I mean, even the fact that we're talking about like angel saying like, Oh, you know, I do have someone else, you know, to take care of, to, you know, Mm -hmm. love or whatever. What, you know, how does Wesley convince him then? Like actually you even being around him puts him in danger. Like that just mm-hmm. isn't, right. you know, something that Angel is going to take well. <laughs> right. Um, so right. how do you, you know, like, I feel like part of his brooding and uh, mulling over every little thing, you know, again, part of it's to make sure that he's actually right and understands, you know, the full implications of the prophecy, but also to figure out maybe what is the best way to break it to angel, you know, Mm -hmm. if he, even if he so chooses to do that. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of, and you know, I mean, we don't get that because like a lot of it's just him sort of looking dour and, you know, not really saying much of anything, but I feel like most of the episodes of it. Yeah, most of the episode isn't really about that, but you get the sense that it's never not on his mind. Right. You know, like it's always kind of ticking away at the back. And and you know, and the thing of he knows the answer, he doesn't know the question. You know that like you know, the answer is that prophecy, you know, 
it's that Angel will kill his son, but we don't know, you know, the question how to approach that. So is it, when is that going to happen? Is it, how is that going to happen? It's how do I prevent this from happening? Why is this going to happen? Like, we don't know which of those is the most important question to ask. Um, yeah. You know, and that's kind of the other part of it too, is like assuming that this is a correct translation and an accurate prophecy, what approach do we even take? Mm -hmm. Is it the kind of, you know, um, I mean, so there's the squishiness of prophecies of like translation and stuff, but there's also, you know, the kind of, always that that Macbeth paradox hanging there too right. of like you know do you cause it by you know trying to stop it from coming true and everything right um and so you know just in sort of making a decision of how do I approach this or do I even tell Angel or not and if so how could tip the scale one way or the other into bringing about something that wasn't necessarily inevitable, yeah. but you know, um, um, right. And so, and you get all that, like that it's weighing on his, I mean, it opens up with him dreaming. Right. So it, the, the very right. beginning is, you know, he's sleeping on his books and then Fred and gun come in and then angel comes in. And then it's like, angels like, Whoa, at least I have a snack. And you're like, wait a minute, what, what's going on? Like, no, there's like, or no, is that the one where he says, like, I'm teaching yeah, Connor how to drive? End. That's li it's later when he says die. he has a snack, yeah. right? Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm teaching him how to die. And it's like, you're like, oh, wait a minute. Okay, yeah, this is a dream. Um, but then there's that. There's also a sense of urgency behind it, too, because, um, it, you know, it's there. there's a voice. I don't, I don't remember exactly how it plays out. But basically, you know, it says running out of time. You know, you, you're mm. there's... There's something going on there. Um, and then you get Angel asking, actual Angel, not Dream Angel, uh, you know, not asking, but just sort of commenting like, oh, we haven't seen you in the last couple of days. You've been holed up with all those prophecies and books. And it's like, yeah, like they're no, they kind of notice that he's, he's not mm -hmm. normal Wesley, but like, yeah not to the point where it's like worrisome necessarily. It's just like, they know, like it's, it's evident that something's weighing on his mind and mm -hmm. don't really know what it is. So yeah. Well, just, and sorry. And the, the, the personal stuff, his own personal stuff uh, bleeds into that too. Cause like it starts, you know, you get Gunn and Fred saying like, you know, at first when you don't realize it's a dream, they're acting normal, but then they get kind of mean and, you know, and, and, sure. and it, there's that turn of like, you know, oh, Wesley's in here with his books. He needs to get a life, right. you know? And so this kind of sense of not only does he have the pressure of feeling like it's up to him to crack this code and save Connor, but the very burden and isolation of that further separates him from everyone else who meanwhile are off having these wonderful relationships with each other that he's not getting. Right. So like, well, and like, not just that, but then you get like, and I know this is later, but then you get even like Fred trying to like convince him to ask out Aubrey. 
You know, right, like right, it's like insult to injury. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not bad enough that like he's alone, but like the very person he wants to be with is like trying to set him up right. with someone else, trying to set him up, right. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, come right. on, um, right, right. So the kind of the isolation from the social aspect is also kind of part of his isolation, like just because of this sort of terrible knowledge that he has. Um, and he can't really fully share that with anybody. Um, so yeah. And, and a part of the, the Macbeth thing too, made me think of like in the nightmare when the, you know, blood comes out of the book and it's all over his hands. Like this, this question of like, all right, blood on Wesley's hands. Like, you know, is that, you know, hinting at a possibility of guilt one way or the other, like, and not necessarily that he is guilty for it, but that he could be, you know, like if you don't, either if he doesn't stop this from happening or if he causes it, you know, it, he could be directly involved with, you know, a terrible thing happening. Um, so yeah. Mm. Not, not a really good headspace that he is in. Um, so yeah, so he goes with Angel and Connor to the doctor um, mm. to just to kind of, you. so you get the sense of like, oh, I'm here just to, you know, for moral support. But, you know, there's a kind of uh, investigatory aspect to it too. Of, right. He wants to know, is there anything abnormal in the, in the tests, anything that'll give him any sort of clue as to um what's going on which uh the tests come back normal but then we hear from Sajan later that well maybe not you know because he says they don't really know what they're looking for yeah so well potentially there could be other readings of these blood tests or whatever that you know so tell us something different so two things though the tests that come back would have to be of the switched blood, not of Connor's blood, right? Because they, right, they switch the blood, so we don't actually know, right, right. from that the those regular tests were normal to doctors' with. visits that right. the blood tests were normal. Yeah, right. Um, which, I mean, all right, it was the early two thousands, but still, I'd have to believe that, like most doctor's offices wouldn't just leave like a vial of blood sitting on the countertop like that. Like, sure. I mean, not that it's the most unbelievable thing about the show about vampires, <laughs> but like, I just, you know, it's one of those, it, it is one of those things where you're kind of like, yeah, you know, come on, maybe, maybe not quite, but right. Right. We could have, or like thought of something like, a little more creative almost would have been better had they simply not shown it and had it. Cause like they have Lila say later, Oh yeah, we switched the blood at the doctor's office. Like you could have almost just not shown the woman going in and switching the blood. And it's, it would have been like even better to not have seen it. Right. You know, just have right. Lila say, Oh yeah. Switch right. blood and say, Oh yeah, they totally could do that. And then you don't necessarily know how they do it, but it's, it's believable that Wolfram and Hart could have that done. Right. Um, without explicitly showing it. 
You, but right, but right. you don't need both. You don't need to show it and then explicate it later. <laughs> right. Right. Um, anyway. Right. Uh, well, so... Uh, I don't disagree with you there. But one thing, you know, you do get with that and then with um, the stuff with Holtz and Aubrey and everything is this sense of just because things seem quiet, you know, with Cordy not being around and no visions doesn't mean that they necessarily are, you know, and sure. there's this sense of like all throughout the episode, people following them, you know, and, yeah. you know, and even if they're not being openly attacked, well, they're being, they're being spied on, you know, the enemies are gathering reconnaissance and information and, you know, training and gearing up for this big confrontation that is kind of about to burst and and that's true and i i hadn't really thought about it this way but that's really completely the opposite of all of the characters because you get like we've been talking about like with wesley where he's so inward focused and contemplative mm -hmm. and and thinking about prophecies and you know implications and that kind of thing and then you have angel who's so focused on Connor. Like, mm -hmm. he's not paying attention to kind of what's going on around him. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, he's talking to the new moms at the doctor's office and whatnot, not even not realizing that one of them is, mm -hmm. you know, a spy for mm -hmm. Wolfram and Hart. And then you get, um, you know, Gunn and Fred, who are, like, so wrapped up in their new thing right. that, like, they're not really paying as much as attention and okay, they do defeat the nest of vampires, but they don't pick out that Justine and, you know, this other dude mm -hmm. are following them. And, mm -hmm. you know, right. like even, even like when they're supposed to be doing reconnaissance guns, like, right. eh, let's go play some peer games, you know, and Fred kind right. of, this is a kind of, uh, bullshit kind of a job that we yeah. have to be doing like it's not real work fred, and fred yeah. kind of balks at it a little bit but then she kind of acquiesces and is like yeah i kind of want the same thing you do anyway so yeah you know isn't doesn't seem too concerned by it i mean they do do their job eventually but it's like they spend all day doing something that probably could have taken an hour or something you know what i mean like right partly yeah because of that attitude and and partly because they're just not paying that much attention to what's going mm -hmm. on around them. So there is that, like that very real sense of, you know, and I don't yeah. know if it has to do with Cordy being gone or not. Like maybe she would also be up wrapped up in her own thing, even if she were there, but like there is that sense of, of they're, they're not really paying that much attention to the stuff, to the potential threats. Um, well, and like, Cordy's gone, like literally, right. like, you know, which it's like, that's, I'm not saying that's wrong, but, and it's not that any one of them is wrong or at fault, but it, you do get a sense of nobody's really on the ball at this point in terms of what's going on. You mean the fact of her being gone is, is in a way its own similar thing you yeah know, to like like if everyone is wrapped up in their own stuff she's so wrapped up that she's not even yeah. here like she and Gru although are, like that was angel telling her to leave too 
No, and that's fine. And I'm not saying yeah. I'm, there's no sense of like blame associated with that. Yeah, yeah. Just the fact that like every single one of them is at this moment internally focused, like right. you said, and none of them are like you don't have one person who's sort of being the one to keep their eye on right. what's going on outside. Um, well, and I feel you know, and I think you've kind of got lulled into this maybe false sense of security of like, okay, we had this period where we were under siege and people were coming for Connor, but that's over now. And right. I feel like Wesley's been saying, don't forget that we still have these prophecies. Don't forget there's still people who are out there after you. Don't forget about Holtz, all this stuff. But like, we haven't seen that. And so I feel like the sense of urgency has kind of, you know, gone away. Um, Certainly for Angel, um, but then the others are now all distracted by other things, you know, sure. um, and the focus is sort of elsewhere. Well, and even even if Wesley's focus is in kind of that direction, it's in turn, it's like in his books, it's not in like security of who's spying on us, who's going to find out all this information and everything. Um, and I think one of the things with Cordy that we've always seen right from the beginning is that she is observant and insightful. Like, right. maybe she doesn't even realize how insightful and observant she's being all the time. Right. But like, right. but like, that's always been her thing of, she opens her mouth and says what she sees and, right. you know, you know, whatever just sort of happens to come to her mind. And it's always that thing of like, she's pointing out the obvious things that everyone else is just sort of taking for granted. And so mm -hmm. there is that sense where if she were there, she might be pointing out this right. potential, like, you know, threats or the fact that people are following them and nobody's <laughs> noticing or, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I don't, you know, I don't, I mean, it is what it is. She's not there and she doesn't point that stuff out. And, and like we've said, all the others are sort of wrapped up in their own thing. So, um, yeah. So it, it yeah. gives a lot of room for Holtz's people and Wolfram and Hart, right. you know, and potentially right. others, you know, to be sort of following them around and, and, you know, taking Connor's blood samples or, you know, doing video. So this is, also, not the first time we've seen sort of like a bad guy videotaping, right? Like we we saw that with Buffy right. and uh, was it the, is it the Adam arc where hmm. where is it that like we see or no is it with Spike? It's with Spike, right? Doesn't he hire like doesn't he have a couple of his vampires way back in like season two, um, like videotaping Buffy and um, watching her moves. Gosh, there, I don't even remember that. Yeah, You're probably right. There, there is a thing. I, I want to say so, it is Spike, but so long ago. <laughs> um, but yeah. Anyway, so like, well, and we've had Wolfram and Hart surveilling the hotel recently. Mm -hmm. You know, like the like, um, you know, they have the kind of CCTV like you know, security cameras sort of set up and they're spying on them and mm -hmm. stuff. Um, yeah, it, it was like the first Halloween episode, I think, is where we okay. see 
that. Sorry, I had to look that up. <laughs> um, right. Or at least that's where it's sort of Buffy finds out anyway. I don't know. Um, based uh -huh. on the right up here. Anyway, so yeah. But yeah, like, I mean, we've, yeah, we've got uh, Holt and them, you know, sort of surveilling and, and biding their time and, you know, building up their army and all of that. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, where did you want to go? I know we kind of, we've sort of jumped around a bit. Um, so um, we talked about Angel and Connor and the Doctor and, and Aubrey and Holt spying on the team. Um, let me think if there's anything else. Well, so the one, before we leave Holtz for a second, um, I wanted to point out this conversation with him and Justine about, uh, like moral gray areas. Cause it's kind of an interesting mm. thing that he says about, um, you know, so she says, how could these people work for a vampire? And he says, well, I made a pact with a demon. And she says, well, so you could get to Angelus, so you could kill a vampire. So, you know, the, the, the motivations were good. And he says, I'm sure they believe their reasons are good, however misguided. Things aren't always black and white, Justine, good and evil. What about Angelus? Well, he's evil, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so this kind of, right. you know, um, which is maybe not surprising that this notion of like that he sees himself as the hero of the story, you know, and, and, um, you know, and actually has a fairly liberal attitude towards good and evil. When you think about like, you know, that it's not, uh, or at least he says, you know, he doesn't see things as purely black and white, you know, um, simplistic, you know, morality, um, that the world's more complicated and that good people can do bad things for, you know, sure. whatever, whatever reasons, you know, and that it's not just, uh, so simple, you know, but then when she kind of challenges him on that a little bit, you know, then of course that's how it is except for, you know, angel. Yeah. Um, well, well that's pure evil. And, and you do get a sense of how often is that true for all of us that we all pay lip service to this notion of, you know, other perspectives and motives and and compassion and understanding and all these things except when it comes to whatever it is that we're you know whatever our perspective is then it's very clear um mm -hmm. you know when it's when it's us who's who've been wronged it's very clear what was you know right and wrong and it's easy to call the other side sort of evil um so you know yeah which Angel kind of echoes later on. Like he kind of says Holtz is a good guy and he's right to hate me and you're right to follow him. But if he comes near us again, I'll kill him, you know? And it's sort of, I don't know that he's saying that Holtz is evil in the same way that Holtz thinks that of him, but there is the sense of like Angel kind of, on the one hand, recognizing that there is this other point of view, which is valid. But on the other hand, that doesn't mean that I won't defend myself and do the right thing by my group. Um, and so, you know. Yeah. Yep. 
that's I was gonna say that about Angel too is that you know when he you know when he's talking to Aubrey later and and, and says you're right to protect him because he's one of the good guys. Um, but then also you have Wesley when he follows Aubrey back to Holtz's hideout, saying you're you're after the wrong guy. You're after mm-hmm. Angelus mm-hmm. and not Angel. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, right. Which we, you know, you're trying to capture Angelus, but this isn't Angelus. This is Angel. Which is interesting. Right. So, and thinking about that, like, too, so there's, like, that's also the difference between who the father of Connor is, right? It's Angel, not Angelus. Mm-hmm. And so you think of, you know, the father will kill the son and you think of like, oh, that means like Angelus. maybe evil Angelus. And that's, that's sort of Holtz's argument, right? Is that angel, he might be angel now when, when Wesley says you're, you know, you're going after Angelus rather than angel and you should be treating him like angel, you know, angel's good. And, um, what does he say? Uh, I don't I don't have it right off the top of my head here, but you know, basically like when you know, when you're going after the you know, the, the angel is actually a good a good guy and, and so Holtz's response is like, yeah, but he'll change. He'll revert again, he'll lose his soul and mm-hmm. you know, uh the beast will reemerge. Um, you're afraid he's going to kill the child, and you're right. But what he's saying there is Angelus. But that's not the prophecy. The prophecy isn't Angelus, because Angelus isn't the right. father. The prophecy is that the father will kill the child, and the father's angel. And so right. so there's like there's sort of a danger in even the way that Holtz is interpreting that at right. that point. And it's it's not entirely clear how Wesley interprets that because that's and and i know we sort of skipped right. over the whole lois stuff too because that comes into play even right. before he confronts right. holt so so there's you know there's a sense where at least the way holt is saying that and and if we think that wesley agrees with him in any way you know that holtz is thinking that the danger to connor is angelus you know, Angel losing his soul again. But it's, you know, if if we sort of read the prophecy in the literal way, that's mm-hmm. not the danger. The danger is actually Angel. And so the question becomes, why is Angel a danger to the child and not Angelus? Right. right. Under what circumstances would Angel, you know, ever do anything to hurt Connor? And, and that's kind and of... And the question is, it says kill. Not murder, not, you know, assassinate, not drink the blood of, whatever, like it says, kill. And does that then, so are we talking an accident? Are we talking, you know, negligence? Are we talking, you know, like, is is there some other explanation than evil killing? Mm -hmm. You know, you know, killing specifically motivated and directed by evil intention. Maybe not. Maybe it's you know, an accidental death right. or, or 
you know, the result of something Angel does that then mm-hmm. has a reciprocal effect that ends up killing Connor. Right. Or right. maybe there's some other interpretation. Like maybe there's, you know, a metaphorical death or, you know, whatever. Like there could be, you know, again, there's right. the squishiness of prophecies. But, but the assumption... I mean, I and again, we don't know if Wesley is assuming this, but it does seem to be that Holtz is assuming that the assumption is that it's it, it's an evil killing, but that right. it's that it's murder or right. or right. slaying of some kind. But it doesn't right. necessarily say that either. Right. Well, and it could be Holtz saying that that is a trigger for Wesley to think about it differently because, you know, if Holtz's mistake is thinking of Angel and Angelus as the same person, you know, it's Wesley that's saying they're not, you know, like you're saying they're, they're two different, you know, wills, they're two different personalities and you can't judge one by the actions of the other. And it's that, that kind of triggers you to think, Oh, what does it mean when it says the father, you know, if they're not the same, Mm -hmm. then, you know, can we, we can't assume that it's the Angelus version, you know, and it's easy to sort of scapegoat everything evil onto the Angelus version, mm-hmm. you know, or everything doesn't even have to be evil. Everything, you know, everything wrong. Like you said, it could be something accidental. There could be other explanations, but you know, you're, you're making, uh, you know, logical assumptions. If you're sort of jumping to the conclusion of, Oh, we have to prevent, angel from turning or we have to take care of Angelus or whatever those, you know, whatever those conclusions are, when it might be perfectly possible for angel himself to be the one, you know, at fault. Yeah. You know, um, but then you sort of get to, again, stick, jump ahead slightly. You get that contrasted with angels increasing, like, uh, how in love he is, you know, with Connor, you know, like, I feel like more in each episode, he gets more and more vocal about, you know, how much he cares about him, how much he loves him. He can't wait to watch him grow up. He can't, you know, uh, you know, think of anything else. He says, he makes me so happy, all these things, um, which is sort of what sends, Wesley into that kind of slightly creepy hysterical laughter at the end, you know, when it's like, it's kind of hitting him of like, you know, he kind of says like, life is funny and silly and worrying about, he kind of trails off, like worrying about things that will never, you know, so he's almost starting to talk himself into like, why am I trying to convince myself of this thing that, you know, how could Angel ever be the one that's responsible when you hear him talk about his son like that? You know, that when he loves him so much, he can't possibly ever kill him. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know. So, yeah. All right. I don't want to talk about the ending quite yet. Um, (laughs) Okay. Let's uh, stick with Fred and Gunn. Um, Mm -hmm who uh 
do what they did last time, which is Gunn gets sent on a, you know, job and takes Fred with him. Um, yeah. And uh, like you said, same thing of they should be, you know, at least doing some work, you know, and they're really not doing any, you know, last time they were paying attention and the guy got sucked down by the tree and, um, and then they got sucked by, down by the tree. And, you know, so both times you're getting their kind of negligence leading to themselves getting in like dangerous situations that they don't, sure, you know, they almost don't escape from and everything. Um, and um, and it's Fred that get, gets them out of it, you know. So it's kind of an interesting moment when there's like going over the surveillance footage and they're like picking out her in particular as like a force to be reckoned with. Like, right. you know, this this tiny little woman who's, you know, outsized, outmatched, like our, you know, our title says. And um and yet she's the one to kind of rescue them in the end. Um, and why, which is interesting, Holtz points out that like, you know, she she gets out of it because she throws herself in like she doesn't care. Like as long as you're committed enough to, you know, your your partner and your cause, then you can sort of, you know, you're reckless enough to not be careful. And that's what keeps you alive kind of you know, paradoxically, that's how she makes it out of it. Um, so yeah, kind of it makes you wonder when they are ready, when Holtz and everyone is ready for their sort of big confrontation, are they going to sort of think of Fred as like a key player, you know, in this scenario, like she's going to, you know, be the one that they have to worry about more than anybody else in a way. Sure. And so then it also becomes interesting, you know, to sort of see the characters through, you know, the the, the Angel team, right? Angel investigation right. team through other characters' eyes of, you know, mm-hmm. like this is, so I sort of liken this to like, uh, you know, football coach watching tapes of the game the day after Mm -hmm. you know like right you know and doing their sort of like analyzing and and right right what did we what did we learn about our opponent from this yeah yeah Yeah. right or watching tapes of other teams like upcoming opponents games you know before you know it's time to play them and whatnot so um yeah it, it it definitely is interesting because you get um uh, you get Holt sort of doing his, you know, didactic breakdown of, you know, what's going on there or whatever. But also because, like, the stuff that he's pulling out is not, like, how we understand Fred, <laughs> right? So, like, he's, right. you know, there's sort of, you know, this, oh, you know, you know, we already had spotted Gunn because he's big and we know he's a fighter and, and whatever, but like we didn't pick out Fred, who's clearly, you know, much scrappier or whatever, which is true. Like, that's not wrong. And you forget that, like, 
she lived five years in Pylea and learned how to cope in a demon dimension and that kind of stuff. So she does have a sort of strength, but, but you don't think of her as the fighter, like, you know, she might build contraptions and have a sciencey mind and stuff, but you don't think about her like being the one to rush in and save the Mm day, um, so to speak. And, and yet she does here. And so sort of all their conclusions are drawn on from this one interaction. Right. Now they think of her as, as one of the fighters, you know, this is going to inform how they approach, you know, the group when they decide to make a move. Like they are now, thinking of her as one of these sort of, you know, formidable, you know, fighters and everything. So, um, so, so yeah. yeah, So it's, so it's just, I mean, and again, like, like it's not to say that they're wrong in that assessment. It's just not, I mean, we know Fred as a fuller character and, and, you know, she has more background and, and, you know, all of that. But, uh, yeah, so just it, you know, it's it's interesting to sort of see her through their eyes and and the eyes of you know someone who doesn't know her in this the same way that we do. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, you know, we also get her in the same scene where she <laughs> tries to set Wesley up, and that doesn't really go the way she thought it would. Um, you know, and he kind of becomes, you know, at first she's complimenting him. So he's kind of very, you know, right. uh, a little smug. And then he realizes like where this is going and, you know, yeah. uh, you know, sort of crestfallen and, and sort of sends her off with a little like slap on the wrist. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, right. oh, I'm I'm above these silly things as if this isn't like what he's been sort of pining after for the last like, you know half a season or whatever. Um, and uh, so, yeah, kind of brings this up to, to between her and Gunn to be thinking about if, if Wesley, if Wesley or just circumstances made them have to choose, how would they choose? Um, you know, which is tough because on the one hand, it's, you know, an exciting new relationship that they want to give a chance and see where it goes. On the other hand, it's hard to not just give up, like, it's not just like a job or a career, but it's like a vocation, right? It's like, this is like Gunn says, it's not just the job. It's that he's been doing this his whole life and he's doing, he's making a difference and he's fighting for good and all these things. And it's hard to kind of imagine walking away from that. Um, and you kind of think that's where he's going to land. Um, and then he doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, he, he says if he had to choose, he would choose Fred and she doesn't seem to disagree with that. So, um, interesting, uh, turn of events. I mean, nobody's forcing them to choose yet, but, um, you know, that was a little unexpected consequence of Wesley's, you know, uh, you know, talk that he gave to Fred, you know, it's like giving them this impression that he might make them choose and they need to sort of think about that. 
So yeah, yeah. Um. Okay. All right. So then Wesley goes. I we talked around this a bit. He goes to the Loa, which is a a, a big hamburger thing, like a fast food. <laughs> you know, I don't even know what it's called. Wherever you give your order. Um, yeah. And he's like this yeah, very deep-voiced, you know, uh, authoritative, you know, voice of prophecy is, you know, the hamburger thing. Um, <laughs> just, just kind of funny. Um, so, yeah, we talked about this a bit. Um, so it's, it's, it's him that gives the, the thing about you know, you, you have the answer. You're asking the wrong questions. Sure. Um, and, you know, kind of hints about Wesley's whole sort of dour state of mind about like, you know, you perhaps what you seek is death. Like you're not even really like, this is just like a, I don't even know what a suicidal mission or, you know, or Wesley's like going into a very dark place, I guess. Um, which I hadn't, didn't seem to me it had got that bad yet, but what do I know what's going on in Wesley's mind? I don't know. Um, like, I don't know. Am I, am I wrong? I don't think we've seen like suicidal Wesley or like completely hopeless or nihilistic yet. Um, no, I don't. I mean... Yeah. I so with respect to the Loa, like it is a hamburger, so I guess we shouldn't take it seriously. <laughs> well, all right. So for I don't think we should confuse the the form that it takes with necessarily yes. the being. Um right. you know, maybe it's just like this happened to be a hot spot and then a fast food restaurant was built on top of it. So like maybe it was like yeah. a I don't know, a totem pole or something before or, or right. you know, right. some other type of statue or, or you know, manifestation. Right. Um, right. So, yeah. So I wouldn't. I mean, it is funny. No, I was um, I was kind of kidding. And, and you get no, I know. But like and, and I do like like when you get like the teenagers who work there, like or whatever, coming out of the the fast food restaurant and sort of laughing at mm -hmm. Wesley like like you know imagine like they must think he's like drunk and like talking mm -hmm. to the burger like it's an actual person or something mm -hmm. which he is doing he's just not drunk and has right. you know a reason for it but um yeah I don't I mean I wouldn't interpret this as like yeah suicidal Wesley or anything like that like i think he's just i mean i think it's a classic case of like not knowing if you're thinking too much or not enough you know what mm -hmm. i mean like you know he's clearly self-absorbed as they all are self-absorbed in various different things and i think i think the dark i mean i there's definitely the sense that like the relationship aspect of it, um, you know, sort of helps lead to like, like you feel like if he had a good relationship with someone romantically, 
maybe they would help pull him out of, you know, right. not thinking about this all the time. But the but even like like as we were saying with Fred, where like at first she's sort of complimenting him and and he's kind of like warming up to it and then he realizes mm-hmm. where it goes. Like that almost pushes him even further into like sort right. of his rumination and, and whatnot. And Right, um, right. Just even kind of the fact that he's like he doesn't tell Angel that he's going out and doing this. Like he's just like, right. I'll I'll be back later, kind of thing. So like there's even that sense of like Yeah. Like he could he could still say to Angel, like, Oh, I'm going to follow up on a lead, you know, I'll be back and not and have to get into details, but he doesn't even like do that much. So Right. So there's just right. sort of I think I think the more he gets into it, I, I think part of it's just he's an academic you know, at heart. Mm-hmm. And so like he gets wrapped up in his research and stuff. And, and maybe part of it's like that he's not sure. So he doesn't want to like present preliminary conclusions before he sort right. of has all the facts and understands their significance. But then also the fact that like he is alone and everyone else has someone else, right. you know, right. Uh, Angel has Connor, Gunn and Fred, right. Cordy and Gru. So like, like there is that, and and I, but yeah, like I I do think it's definitely leading him to sort of be more introverted and self reflective right. and all of that. But I yeah I wouldn't say like suicidal or right. you know you right. know anything like that. Um, right. It's just but maybe maybe a little bit more reckless than he normally would be like sure. like you said going off without at least telling someone what you're doing or where you're going um or when he goes to talk to holtz like you know to the group by himself and right. stuff like right right this isn't like a a mission that we're putting together it's like especially, he's in a especially yeah when he when he goes to holtz like this is after he and Angel have already worked together to sort of uncover Aubrey. And then right. he just goes by himself. Right. Without telling Angel what he's doing or where he's going. So Right, right, right. So there's this sense of like, is he actively intentionally seeking death? Well, no. But he is kind of putting himself in this sort of self-imposed one-man mission. But to sort of do everything himself and save the day all on his lonesome and everything. You have to give him props too, though, for the fact that like, this is ultra confident and competent Wesley. Oh yeah. Like, like this is, this is Wesley as kind of a badass. Like he disables, you know, Holtz's, you know, right. Over eager. Protege there. And like steps up to him and, you know, sort of, gives right back to Holtz and, and doesn't back down or anything. So. Well, and we've always seen that it's Wesley under pressure is, is the, the most sort of competent version yeah. of Wesley. Um, um, and so, it, you know, it's a, okay. The more competent he's getting, but also the more isolated and dangerous it's going to get the further he goes in that direction too. Yeah. Um, um, but I do want to point out, so back to the Loa though, specifically, yeah. um, there is, there is just part of what he says. I want to, you know, make sure we revisit or whatever. Um, 
simple mortal, your pain is just beginning. Betrayal and agony lie in wait, and time is running out. And that time is running out is mm-hmm. is a reflection of the dream of when he says right. running out of time. You know, he hears the voice or whatever running out of time, and you know, so betrayal, agony, lie in wait. Like, what are your pain is just beginning? Like. Yeah, Wesley's in a sort of pain, but like, like only. I mean, I don't mean only because I know like this can it can be very painful, but like, it's only like rejection of romantic love. Like that's really the mm-hmm. pain that he's in. Like the rest of it, like, mm-hmm. is rumination, and he can't figure out what's going on. But there's no like, like I wouldn't say like trying to figure out a prophecy is is pain. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's might be right. frustrating it might be you know right uh unnerving or whatever but i you know it's weird to call that pain so so like those are sort of the questions of like you know what is the pain what's the betrayal what's the agony that lion wait like mm-hmm. and and again who are like is someone to betray wesley is someone going to betray angel investigations as a whole is he going to betray someone you know, like what there's all sorts of ways that, again, that can be interpreted, just like the father will kill the son. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, right. is it murder? Right. Is it assassin? Is it, you know, monstrous? Is it accidental? Is it, you know, what yeah. are all, you know, there's a bunch of different ways to take that. And, um, right. you know we'll we'll see where that goes you know but again like it's prophecy so how do you how do you interpret that and and you know is there you know what what is the part of it that you're not getting is always the question Mm -hmm. um right um so then right and sorry go ahead no i was just gonna say the last part of the prophecies the sort of fire earthquake blood part which um i love wesley's you know, reaction <laughs> an earthquake yeah. that's the first portent we live in california yeah. like well and so yeah it's funny but it also kind of suggests this thing of like you know again you're kind of we've seen prophecies you're primed for it you're waiting for the non-literal interpretation that sneaks up on you of like well we're never going to notice the earthquake because we get them all the time. And like, so these signs are going to be completely useless because we're not even going to, they're going to come in a way we don't expect or that that's barely noticeable and, and kind of sneak up on us. And therefore this is not like a useful portent. But then of course, that's literally what happens at the end of the episode, like in a kind of way of like, there's no mistaking. It's like, you know, there's kind of a little tremor and then there's like a huge earthquake that knocks over this, somehow knocks over the stove in the kitchen. So the whole right. like place goes up in flames, like catches, the room catches fire and like, you know, it, the, almost the building is collapsing, like beams are going to fall and you're going to get trapped. And, you know, then Angel gets like a big cut that like, you know, gushes blood all over Connor and everything. So it's sort of like, his kind of wry, oh, an earthquake in California. It's like, no, there's no mistaking this earthquake. Right. Like this is 
literally no way you could possibly not miss these portents. Um, so yeah, and this is after his kind of laugh it off moment of like, you know, oh, it's, it's all so funny and everything, but like, uh, yeah, that, the laughter to me was like a creepy kind of laughter. Right. Of like, this is not a happy <laughs> thing. This is like, you're saying life is funny, but I don't know. You seem like you're a little unhinged here for a minute. Right. Um, right. The, the and, sort of morbid irony of life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And then Angel makes it worse with the like least funny joke, you know, <laughs> at the very end of like, well, at least I would have had a snack, which is like, it's horrifying, you know, it's a horrifying line. And like Wesley's face is like completely gas. Like, I can't believe you just said that. And it's almost like surreal because it's like, in what universe would Angel think that was a funny joke? And so it kind of makes you wonder like, like what? Like, I can't even imagine like why he would ever say something like that. Like it, it almost had a feeling of like, not him being possessed, but like, it, like that just came so kind of out of left field for me of like, the things that well, Angel would normally say about Connor and everything. And the question is also like, is it Angel? Or is this like Wesley imagining it? Well, and, and that's a possibility. Like that was part of the feeling of the end is like, is Wesley yeah. going a little bit unhinged? Yeah. Is he cracking up here? Did Angel, did Angel really say that? Because it doesn't seem in character for him to joke about that. Right. Um, after he's just been waxing, you know, poetic about how wonderful his son is and, you know, how precious he is and how happy he makes him. Like, yeah, there, there was a kind of element of it that seemed a little bit surreal, you know, a little bit sort of dreamlike or imagined or whatever. Um, yeah, and so, uh, yeah, that's a kind of question for me is, is how much of this kind of doom and gloom is in Wesley's own mind or or is what he's reading starting to affect what he's seeing and thinking or at least how he's sort of interpreting what he sees. Right. And I don't know what the answer is, but it was like, it's a creepy, it's a creepy end to the episode. Um, yeah. And Wesley's not really laughing anymore. <laughs> no. At the end of it. No. Nope, he's not. Um, so, if there's nothing else sort of about Wesley and all of that. Um, I think the only other thing to sort of bring up is the Lila Sajan stuff, mm -hmm. which isn't like, I think we can cover it in a minute or two. Um, yeah. Uh, so in, interesting. Uh, when we first see Lila in this episode, 
she's talking to her mom apparently on the phone and mm-hmm. and her mom sort of seems to have maybe like dementia or alzheimer's or something where right. she's not quite understanding what's going on or whatever um right right right. which is kind of funny in a dark way the moment where it's like mom mom don't cry and then sajan walks in i gotta go and she hangs up (laughs) like sure and like kind of the callous end of like well you have the impression that she doesn't exactly go to see her mom all that much Mm. and then the fact that she sort of cuts off the conversation, you know, in a kind of brisk way in the middle of this like emotional moment, it's like, you know, uh, pretty cold. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so they banter a bit, but, you know, basically saw John having been sort of brushed off now by Holtz, right? Like mm-hmm. Holtz is basically gone rogue. You know, Sajan helped him, uh, you know, travel through the centuries, so to speak. And now, like, knowing that Sajan can't actually do anything to him, <laughs> you know, Holtz mm-hmm. has sort of just gone on and done his own thing. So now Sajan's sort of yeah. trying to enlist the help of Wolfram and Hart, or at least Lila. Because um, there's still the ban on killing it, right? The The... Wolfram and Hart official position is we know that Angel has a role in the apocalypse, but we don't know what it is. So on the chance that it's an evil role, we want him to stay alive. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But of course, Lila has her own sort of reasons for wanting to kill him and so agrees to help Sajan. Um, I mean... Basically, he needs Connor's blood for some reason or other, and she agrees to get... Well, right. she already has it, right? Um, right, they already have it, yeah. Uh, they... Later, they meet at the bar, and it's kind of funny, because, like, Sajan's like, hey, aren't we going to talk a little? Like, I invented daylight savings time. You know, <laughs> trying to, like, chatter up almost, and it's, it's right. just like, all right, dude, come on. Um yeah you know even i've had more success picking up women than that um not much but well the the line too about uh i you know sorry i'm late ironic given that i'm (laughs) you know a time shifter that like yeah yeah doesn't even show up on time Uh, um but yeah i mean i don't know that there's a ton to say just that like now they're like like these two are in cahoots right so mm -hmm. um yeah, they're they're doing something with Connor's blood. We don't know yet. Um, yeah, and that's that. So. Yep. All right. So, well, next week we're on. We're, we're back to Buffy, so we won't. Yeah, we won't get anything more right. on this for a little bit. But uh, yep. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, on to BSG. And so here we're talking about the end of season two, the, the finale, yeah. the second part of the two part finale, um, yep. which means it's also a little bit longer <laughs> of an episode. Yeah, we are right. Um, and so 
and think we'll try to I'll try to resist the temptation to talk big picture because we'll have our season recap and we can just yeah well stick to the, and I feel like it's, it is going to be a lot of just kind of going quickly from one thing to the next um, mm -hmm. and kind of grouping it by location as we've done in the past so starting mm -hmm. with Caprica old mm -hmm. old Caprica one might call mm -hmm. it um, so or, or Caprica that was if we want to use sort of the, the Firefly uh, right. style designation. Um, so, which picks up right where we left off, right at the end of part one with yeah. Starbucks, Sam, Hilo, and, and their crews, which are now merged together, uh, mm -hmm. sort of fleeing a Cylon attack. They find sort of like an old ruins in which to hide. Um, and wait it out and and as it turns out they like they like wait overnight and the cylons are sort of sort of standoffish and then just disappear so like there's yeah. not much to talk about there because it's they're all yeah. like okay what happened um you know sam and starbuck do come up with sort of a mutual uh suicide mm -hmm. well i guess it's a mutual uh murder pact uh, like the, where they're going right. to kill each other if like things right. get really bad basically um fortunately they don't have to go through with that um right and uh right. when they when they realize what's gone what's happened and you get like the explanation from sharon right uh that Initially, they backed off, the Cylons backed off to use non-lethal weapons so that they could capture some of the mm -hmm. humans, which which is why, like, Starbuck is so adamant about not going back to, like, one of the farms where she had previously been right. in prison. Right. But uh, then when they just leave, it's like, okay, well, I guess now we're free to go. And we get, um, of course, that shot of Cavill. Uh, mm. who is who is apparently you know been on Caprica and part of, been part of their team or part of their you know followers or whatever um with with Sam and crew uh yeah for a while and and he comes out and like his counterpart on the Galactica is apparently a priest and offers offers up a prayer for their safety um mm -hmm. And then they all go back to Galactica. So it's it's kind of funny because, like, I mean, I know there's some cuts in and out, so it feels a little bit longer mm -hmm. than, than that. But it's really just like, like last episode, you know, it's like, oh, you know, we travel to Caprica and, you know, do all this stuff to, like, meet up. And then we're under attack. And then it's like, oh, yeah, they sidelines just leave and we get back to the BSG. Right. Like, like, there's no right. real, like, <laughs> like, the resolution is just so sort of prosaic. It's... Right. Yeah. right. Right. Well, it's a little it's a little anticlimactic. Yeah. Um like after all that, like we've been talking pretty much since the mini series about should we go back right. to Caprica to like fight or rescue survivors or kick them off or do whatever. And then it's kind of like you get there and it's like, well, where'd they go? <laughs> They're not there they anyway. Just, they just left. But yeah. But I mean, I think it's uh there's a couple important you know, things that come out of it, you know, one being, 
you know, that they do rescue some survivors, you know, particularly Sam. So it's a way to kind of get right. Sam and Kara together so that they can kind of, and, you know, have screen time together and like and, have a relationship and everything. And, and bump up the population number if only temporarily. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> if if un- um, until the big nuclear weapon goes off later in the episode. <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, Oh, one step forward, two steps back. Yeah. Um, and and even didn't Sam say his his group got hit? So like they're like right. It's a, a, not a nearly as of big. the amount of people they really had. Right. Um, but so it's really like for Sam, you know. That's really why. Oh yeah, no, that's we, we went there without um, doubt. That's Starbucks motivation. I mean, she's yeah, she's not thinking yeah. about how extra people will help out this fleet or anything. Like no, totally and cool. even like from a writing perspective, I think it's like. It's really all about oh, Sam. Sure. You know, how are we going to get Sam to Galactica? Um, but then also, um, you get um, this... It, it sets up without realizing it. And I don't want to jump ahead to the end. But it sets up the end of the episode in that we we understand from this that there's a shift in Cylon policy. Um, that, you know, and we get the two cavils there to, right. you know, exposition at us and tell us, like, the thought process behind this. That, um, you know, there's a, there's a new, uh, you know, approach that basically they've, from what we saw in whatever it was two episodes ago with, you know, uh, Capricus 6 and Boomer, that... At the end, when they make their pact of, you know, we can change their minds, we can show them a new peaceful and loving way of living. It seems that that's been successful. That right. Like they've actually, you know, how and maybe that was several months ago. It's not quite sure what the timeline is. It's like, OK, since whenever that was, there's been this sort of grassroots movement among the Cylons to. Right. Right. reconsider their own ways of thinking and look at what they've done as mistakes and you know as acts of evil and all these things and so by the time we get to this episode they've actually decided to just pull back and go their own way mm-hmm. um yeah no and that's good and so cavill sort of does help bridge that trip right so now we we're on Cap- galactica right the the yeah. Caprica Cavill gets off and immediately is like fingered by um, right. Tyrol as being a Cylon and <laughs> and I love like the you know the Galactica Cavill is coming in is like I'm not a Cylon what do you do oh okay yeah yeah uh, yeah yep okay got it and then like they're even like Caprica Cavill even like apologize to him like, I'm oh I'm sorry brother for you know blowing your cover but you know we've yeah. had a change in plan and, um yeah uh you know you get another you, you know one of the things that's interesting is especially about especially with like some of the more spiritual minded uh cylons i guess um like leoban mm-hmm. and cavill and whatever it's like you get these different sorts of ideas so so cavill well first you know the name cavill right um it's like coddle as far as like there's sort of a 
mm-hmm. you know, metaphorical. Um, mm-hmm. You know, to cavil is to like make petty or unnecessary objections, right? So it's it's this mm-hmm. sense of it's this thing of like, you know, the just in, in the way he talks, even is like like he he always has these sort of little asides or like. I don't mm-hmm. know, like like things that are maybe not that important that he just sort of like tosses out there, you know, at will or whatever. Anyway, so right. Well, the the lines about like we're not like you, we're not afraid of change. We can learn from our mistakes, right? You know, like that. That it's not just that oh we've changed our minds, but I got to get that little dig in there about how much better that makes us superior because. You know, we make mistakes, but we acknowledge them and we learn from them, unlike you. Right. You know. um, so, like, that's funny in the name. But then also, like, the fact that they're they're priests, but they're atheists. <laughs> like, right. then they just, they right. don't believe in, not only do, not, do they not believe in sort of the um, uh, colonial gods, right? The the lords of Cobol and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um but they don't believe in the, you know, sort of one true Cylon God. Right. Um, so, you know, it's, it's just kind of funny the way that they set that up. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so, I mean, and they get thrown out the airlock. Like, we don't actually see it happen, but like, that's right. what Rosalind says. And we can presume, I guess, that that's what actually happens. Because we just don't, yeah. we don't see them again at all. And, right, right. Um, I guess. Right, yeah, no, I think they go to, they. that's what happens is, and, you know, and, she sends them to test the truth of the Cylon God, so. And, and, I mean, I guess, I guess I don't remember, um, like I, I'm guessing we see other Cavill models later, but these two particular, like we've talked about, how there's like individual strains mm. within right. sort of the model right. numbers, um, right? Like they're not near a resurrection ship anymore, right? Like that's right. been blown up, and I don't right. think there's been another one brought back yet. So like they're they're gone, right? Um, yeah, I, I kind of think that might be the end for these two individuals. You know, that's my impression. Yeah. Um, so, uh, on Galactica, to talk about the humans then, mm-hmm. um, well, first we should s- sort of mention Tyrrell and Callie, because they are, you know, this is coming off of Tyrrell beating the crap out of Callie, um, after his sort of dream and, you know, being woken up by her and all of that. She's in the infirmary and like still looking pretty messed up. Cuddle clears her to go back to the deck and work. And, and she's kind of understandably, I would say, uh, 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 confused by this, you know, not, not maybe, well, incredulous might be a better, you know, way to say it. Um, but then you get Tyrrell coming. Yeah, no, her, her, the makeup is good. Her face is all kinds of, Messed oh up, yeah, you know. Um, and then you get Tyrrell actually coming in to see her, and he says, "I'm sorry. Well, you know what I did was unforgivable and excusable. I didn't come here to." And then immediately, Callie says, "I forgive you." Mm-hmm. And like, 
like interrupting whatever prepared speech he had, you know, right. to say that like gives you get the sense that like he's going to go on for some time, maybe right. apologizing and kind of asking for forgiveness, even though he's saying it's unforgivable mm-hmm. um, and all of that. Um, and then she tells him, I care about you. I always have. I always will. And so, I mean, like, we we know, like, it's it's not a surprise. Like, we've seen what she's done for him. Right. Like, she shot Boomer and, right. you know, all of the stuff that she sort of went through when he was, you know, being... Uh, questioned as sort of a Cylon sympathizer or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, that doesn't bear fruit until later in the episode. So we'll sort of skip over it Mm -hmm. for now, but just that, you know, she forgives him and he, Mm -hmm. you know, I guess sort of accepts that, but um, doesn't initially want to. Um, yeah, and it's it's kind of that's a tough it's a tough scene because I feel like it's kind of simultaneously sweet and creepy, <laughs> like yeah. you know, of like the 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 you know, okay, so she forgives him very easily and without even hardly being asked to, and you kind of aren't quite sure like is that innocent in a kind of endearing way or is it naive, you know, sure. like. Like, there's her with her completely wrecked, you know, face and broken jaw and all this stuff, you know, telling the guy that just beat the crap out of her that it wasn't him, you know? And it's like, right. you know, it's just complete. I'm not saying it's it's her forgiveness is right or wrong, but just, you know, it, it, it's interesting then that I think that we don't see them again, really at all, until the kind of jump at the end of the episode and their relationships until she's nine months pregnant you know with this kid and yeah yeah and so you're kind of left to make of that what you will i think like you know um you you know you're kind of left to uh make a judgment as to you know you're an opinion and even to write the history of like how do you get from, you know, this point to that point and everything? Sure. Um, but it's kind of an interesting way to get them together. You know, it's an unusual <laughs> approach to take. Like, I don't know. I can't think of, now that I think about it, I don't know that I can think of any other characters that get together in quite that manner of like, yeah, like, oh, the sweet characters who finally have a budding romance after one beats the snot out of the other. Like, you know, and especially not like in a kind of tough Starbuck and Sam like yeah. I mean tussling on the pyramid game kind of way, but like in a like he straight up like you know like attacked her and laid her flat. And so How different is guess, it from not, Buffy and Spike? Well that's true. <laughs> but Buffy but Buffy gives it back. Well oh I meant Buffy being the one to beat Spike up, but yeah. Well, that's true. That's true. That's true. Uh, I'm thinking of, I guess I'm thinking more of men beating up women. You right, know? right. No, um, I, and, but, and, and but, I'm being a little tongue in cheek when I say that, but like there is yeah. sort of a sense in which, like, even, like, even think about like when she 
was going to turn herself in at the police station and he's like go ahead sure. let it out you know like i love right. you right and uh, granted there's more history there you know on right. both ends but well and i think there are other examples of like abusive relationships and stories but like i don't it's not clear to me whether this is supposed to be presented that well, way. And like, I would, right. apart from her beat up face, it's a very sweet scene. And you know, like, and I think, <laughs> and I think that right, like you can almost see like maybe, like she's instead of forgiving him for bashing her face in, she's like forgiving him for like forgetting to show up to a dinner date. Or something like, exactly like right, yeah right. like it's right other like a completely different situation the same dialogue would be perfectly right. fine and and that would yeah right and, i forgive you i've always loved think, you i care about you you know all that kind of stuff like and i don't i don't disagree with you like because i definitely think there's something creepy about her immediately forgiving him and and him even and even sort of the audacity of him going to her to say he's sorry mm. in in a sense um but i think the other thing is that like we uh, you know as as viewers kind of agree with her when she says like we know this isn't you like that there's something sure. else going on right. you know you, however far you want to back to take it. I mean, all the way back to when he first found out that, uh, you know, Boomer was a Cylon and, and mm -hmm. sort of the slow uh, descent into, you know, mental maelstrom mm -hmm. as he went, right. you know, and, and I mean, I think, I think we also, you know, want to believe that like, as viewers that that mm -hmm. Tyrrell is like this like that he's not a Cylon and that that there was something disturbing him you know mm -hmm. mentally and that not that it's necessarily I mean I don't I don't know if you want to call it an excuse or or an explanation or what but you know just that idea that like as soon as he realized what was happening, he stopped and sought help mm -hmm. for her and, you know, all of that. But, you know, that, that you do want to, like, it's not like, see, what's tough is that, uh, that is used in actual domestic abuse situations of like, he didn't know what he was doing or he's right. not really that way. Right. Right. And and but I think in this case we do think that that's actually true. And right. that he's not that way and that he didn't mean to do it. So, I mean, but then, you know, you do have to sort of question yourself is that are you just sort of justifying something or not? Right. Right. Like I just I think that's why it's interesting and kind of complicated. It's like, yeah, like we don't chief is a good guy. Like, we don't, we like him. You know, he's not yeah. one of the bad guys. He's not, he's never done anything intentionally sort of evil or villainous or anything. 
Um, but then you do, and and in fact the, has the, done quite the opposite. It's not even. It's right. not like he's just not done anything bad, but he's actively right. done good things too. Right. He's a good. Yeah. Right. And then I think it's just the way that it's, um, some of the language around it is reminiscent of those kinds of relationships that just makes it just puts it at a slightly different kind of spin for me. And, and I think like with, you know, the chief being actively one of, you know, maybe the best people in the show in terms of what we've seen and Callie, you know, being, you know, maybe not quite as heroic as the chief, but, you know, maybe one of the more, but loyal, you know, loyal and, and, you know, innocent or naive to a certain degree to have that as a kind of cute couple that you want to root for, have them get together sort of under these circumstances. It's just sort of interesting to me. Mm -hmm. Like I, and I guess more than that in the specific events, it doesn't, is the way in which it doesn't quite, I can't think of any other parallels really. Um, you know, but maybe I'm just not thinking hard enough. Um, but anyway, yeah, so that's kind of where we leave them is uh, with her forgiveness and him at this point, not quite knowing mm -hmm. how to respond to that. Um, sure. Um, so the other um, couple, I guess, uh, we see is Sam and Starbuck. Now, you know, now that they're out mm -hmm. of the danger zone off of Caprica, uh, they're just not wasting any time getting drunk and you know no. busy uh no it's such an awkward scene it's so it awkward and i mean that in a good way like it's not awkwardly done it's just so real like you've been in that room i've been in that like we sure. i think we've all been lee in that situation right of, <laughs> and of the over affectionate one, drunk couple yeah yeah, of just like, been yeah. sitting there going, uh, I would literally rather be anywhere else right now. Um, and especially uh, Starbuck, I think, in that scene. Is, right. She's at her worst. It's well, like at her at her sloppy, annoying worst, you know? <laughs> which which makes her, like, there's a sense in which, right, She she's completely drunk. She's, you know, trying, like... It makes her try even harder too, to like know. right do whatever it is she's doing, like she just does it more and right, and so like the yeah, when Lee comes in and it's just like like just the comments about like, oh, you're still fracking Duala, you know, and like it's so petty and mean, yeah, you know, it's such a mean spirited moment, you know, right, which is like until this point in time like like had she ever even said anything about the two of them being together like i right. don't even know that i'd ever heard her say anything even acknowledging let alone right. criticizing you right. know lee and d's relationship um which in a way is even worse because it's like it's not even like i i'm jealous of her it's like i don't even think about it like, oh, you're not still doing that, are you? Like, it's not even worth commenting right. on. You know, this relationship is so inconsequential that it doesn't even merit, you know, the comment. Sure. Um, 
and so Sam's a little more reserved and you don't like it's hard to tell is it because he's not as drunk or like right. you know what right. uh, or just he doesn't know really who Lee is but right I mean not much like he's still making out with her and talking about having sex right. with her and you know like all you know right. all of that stuff and um I mean not that he has any idea you know of whatever between Starbuck and Lee but you know like the other hand like what does Starbuck expect like Mm -hmm. she and Lee might have had something at some point but Mm -hmm. why did she even care like who Lee may or may not be with like it it just doesn't make Mm -hmm. any logical sense but then again she's drunk so logic isn't really a factor right um, well, and it's that thing of, um, you know, you overcompensating to act like something, you know, doesn't matter to you when clearly it does, you know, sure. like, you know, like you do, I, I guess just all around that, that that's the feeling I get from Starbucks in this scene is like overcompensation, you know, of like yeah. acting more nonchalant, happier, more thoughtless, more silly, more whatever than it, you know, than she really is and going too far in the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a kind of, it's, it wants to come across as just confident and casual, but it's too calculated to be any of those things. It's like, you know, (laughs) um, you know, and kind of like sort of not noticing that Lee even leaves the room. But then if you didn't really want Lee there, why did you ask him in in the first place? And like, you know, it's just kind of. Sure. Uh, it's just a weird sort of vibe between them. Um, so, OK, so moving on, or otherwise we're never going to finish this episode um let's talk about sort of the election stuff and i mean we can talk sort of oh boy yeah i know so exciting and we'll try not to draw too many parallels to current events but um before so so just bringing it out like sort of pre-election during the election and then after the election um so before the election you get sort of like roslyn you know, she's losing points in the polls and getting very frustrated and sort of, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe not in her anger, maybe not making the best decisions um, Mm. about things and giving Tori, who is not Billy, as we've heard Mm -hmm. her say, Mm -hmm. um, and Adama, uh, sort of giving her a lot of leeway, um, Mm -hmm. you know, to to help things get done um and 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 then she also sets up this meeting with baltar sort of a secret meeting right so like the press is watching both of their moves uh pretty closely so uh but they do manage to to set up this meeting and um you know the the 
thrust of it is that, uh, you know, they both agree that, like, the question of whether or not to settle this new planet, which Baltar calls New Caprica here for, I think, the first time, right? Like, I don't mm-hmm. think we've heard that. We didn't hear that term yeah, in the I don't previous so. uh, uh, episode. So, um, right. like, so it's already got a name. You, like, once you name it, you can't give it back. Exactly, right? yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and... Um, and, you know, evoking the, uh, nostalgia of Caprica, right? right? Like this is new Caprica. It's, you know, this is the city on the hill type of, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, thing that, that Baltar is sort of playing on. Um, Roslyn wants to propose the truce, right? Saying that, uh, they're going to, so, it, sorry, I said I wasn't going to draw too many parallels, but here's Uh-oh. a parallel I'm about to draw. Yeah. It's similar to how uh, the Supreme Court seat for Antonin Scalia, yeah. uh, vacated yeah. by his death, uh, has not been filled. And, and how Republicans have been saying all along, like, oh, we'll let the next president choose right. it you know even though it's been 10 months now right you know um and and you know obama had uh, uh, right. uh nominated a guy and mm-hmm. um well not just a guy but like a judge who is presumably qualified you know to take the job right. or whatever but right but they're you know no 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 we're gonna let the next president you know handle it right you know because right of reasons. And so like, this is Roslyn's, uh, yeah. Proposal, right? Like, okay, we're in the middle of this election. This is the most important issue. Let's just hold off. And whoever wins, you know, can be the one to decide what happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're just not going to talk about it anymore. Now, of course that's to her benefit. <laughs> Exactly. And, well, and it's clearly a desperate move. Sure. You know, like the fact that she even sets up this secret meeting and proposes this secret truce. Right. It's like, that's all the indication. If he had any doubts, that's the indication Baltar needs of like, I got this. Right. You know, <laughs> like, like that, if right, I hit really this, yeah. this is the weak spot. If we keep hitting this issue, that's where it's going to, um, you know, and it's, she's in, she's between a rock and a hard place because if she does nothing, who's going to win on the issue. And yet by proposing this truth, she's revealing, she's tipping her hand, you know, that this is where I'm feeling, you know, vulnerable. Right. And, and she pulls out the old patriotism card. Like I'm appealing to your sense of patriotism and personal. Right. Which only offends him Um, more. Right. Well, right. My sense of patriot. Right. It's almost like if she had, if she hadn't even said that line, he like might he might have even it. considered yeah. it, but like it's like you've yeah. insulted me. You have insulted right. me now, madam. And right. uh now he sees it as you know, it's not only like that this world is here, but now that becomes his patriotic duty. Like she, like not only does she insult him, but she like directly hands him, you know, the the right. uh ammunition which with with which to fire back at her. That Right. Now, not only is his sense of patriotism doing just fine, but it's actually th- this act of leading the fleet to a new world 
you know, New Caprica yeah. is his actual right. patriotic duty. Um, right. And calls and her it, out and on it that makes desperation. Him... And... Sorry. Sorry, what? No, sorry, were you finished? I cut you off. Well, just saying that, like, you know, now he sees her desperation. Um, but but then also, so, as it, now that he's called out her desperation, it's like, well, now she has something as well. Like, like now she's truly desperate. And mm-hmm. here's where the big guns come out. And she asks him about the blonde, the tall blonde woman that he was with on Caprica. Um, right. And, and I love how like immediately like head six is like, Oh crap. Like <laughs> she knows. So she can Get see out, through yeah, you. Yeah. Um, and, and Baltar just like stacks umbrage upon umbrage and, you know, uh, decides that he's not, I, I, I'm afraid my affairs on Caprica and who I choose to consort with are none of your business. You know, I, I saved your life. I won't save your political career. Like, you know, it's just this very like stuffy, you know, uh, response and, you know, just turns tail and leaves. Um, You know, so, okay. Yeah. It was a desperate move on Rosalind's part. Didn't really go as planned. Um, Mm -hmm. Not sure she had a plan. Like that's maybe part of the desperation. Like just that she's not entirely clear on, what she needs to do, you know, to right. win. Um, so she leaves it up to Tori. Right. Uh, which. Right. Hyper competent Tori, who, you know, always has a, has a plan, as she says, right. a backup plan for victory. There's, a, there's always a backup plan. Um, mm-hmm. So we come to election night. Uh, Baltar's winning. Or slowly, like, yeah. pulling into... I forget yeah. exactly how it... How exactly it is. But basically, is on track to win. Right. Uh, you know, but there's still a few ships. Now, they're they're pulling in ballots by, like, ship, but there doesn't seem... Like, it seems to be a straight popular vote. Like, there doesn't seem to be, like, the right. colonial equivalent of the Electoral College or anything like that. Right. I don't think so. Um, it seems like it's... Just, uh, you and, know, one and, vote per person. And so, like, we would, you know, see uh, the vote state by state as they, you know, as polls close and whatever. Um, they're sort of announcing over the wireless, you know, the the numbers from each ship as the right. tallies are counted and, and double-checked and verified and all of that. Um, and you see, you know, the... Uh, uh, cases full of ballots sort of being um, Mm -hmm. uh, chaperoned, I guess, uh, Mm -hmm. from ship to ship with like a contingent of guards in each one. Um, So Dee's a conniving little so-and-so. She really is, isn't she? Because like, this is not the first time we've seen her. Nope. um, I, I mean, and not like... On the one hand, like you, you maybe you just need a character who is like the character you always use in this sort of situation, mm-hmm. and like before it was, it was with Lee, right, and and helping right. Rosalind against escape, Ty, right when Ty was take you know right. taken over and all of that, and so 
So, like, at least, like, it's consistent. Like, she's helping Rosalind mm-hmm. again. So it's not like, right. you know, it's not like she's flip-flopping. Right, or, she's not know. without principles. Like, she's, right. you know, um, yeah. No, but she's but, not, yeah, she's consistently a quiet little rebel. Not, never in any open way, but in her own little manipulative sort of way, you know. Yeah, so... Um, uh, and, but, but with Ty this time, which is interesting, you know? Right. And, and um, that Ty is helping out Roslyn, but you know, right. it's because of the, like, you can understand Ty. It's because of the old man, right? Like, yes, it, it's right. This is like the only reason Ty was ever against Roslyn was because the old man was against Roslyn and then right. had been shot and Ty just on his own, doesn't know how to moderate himself. Um, right. Now, right. the old man is with Rosalind and wants her to win, and so he's willing to right. do whatever he can to help her win. Um, so, like, right. I, I get that flip-flop more than I would get a yeah. flip-flop from, like, D or someone. Right, but, right. Um, whereas D is consistently a Rosalind supporter. Right. Um, now the the other under, aspect yeah. of this, so okay, so that happens, and you know they switch the ballots, and uh, yeah. oh, miraculously Rosalind wins, um, and there's a couple of effects of this. So one, you get the immediate effect of uh, Zarek, who's like, yeah. all right, I know rigged elections, <laughs> and this is couple, definitely let me tell you. a rigged election. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, take it from me. Yeah. Uh, well, and he was the one too. Even again with parallels um, of the fear of the rigged election before it even happens. Like, sure. Which D- Zarek was the one who didn't like that Galactica was involved in right. the the counting process because they're gonna they're gonna rig the system. Right. You know, they they're, and, they're against my candidate and it's gonna and, happen. And this is the thing, right? Like as much as like you might dislike uh Zarek's methods or whatever, like They he, do. He he he's <laughs> he's not wrong. Like he's no. he's not wrong in his assessment of the corruption and you know, right. uh, willingness of people to allow themselves to be manipulated. So, right. Uh, right. you know, now that doesn't mean you should like blow up buildings or, you know, become a terrorist, but, right. but he's not wrong in, in at least the assessment of the problem, even if right. his solution is, you know, had, leaves a lot to be desired. Um, so that's the immediate result, but also like, it's interesting that Baltar defends Rosalind. Right, I know. And and says, you know, one thing you you know, one thing about Rosalind is that she's not corrupt. She's many things, right. but she's not corrupt and she's not dishonest. It's over. Right. He he can well, I mean, at least in the privacy of the room there, he concedes mm-hmm. the vote. And so um and then later not concedes. Which also right. happens sometimes in elections, like the one recently. Right. There's a slight <laughs> change of tune. Um, um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, so so both of those reactions are interesting, I, I think. You know, Zarek uh-huh. immediately 
and correctly <laughs> calls it fixed. Mm-hmm. But Baltar, like even Baltar can't see that as, you know, as Baltar can't see Roslyn stooping to that level, which tells you something right. about what he actually thinks about Roslyn, which is that at least yeah. she's principled. Like he at least seems right. to think she's principled, even if maybe he doesn't agree with her. And I'm not even sure right. he disagrees with her all the time. I feel, you know, no. it might just be that he's disagreeing with her because it's useful for him to do so. <laughs> right, right. Or he wants to win regardless of right. whatever. Right, he has to... Regardless of principle or whatever, like, you know, he wants to win. He doesn't want to win so that they can settle on New Caprica. He wants to use the Caprica thing as leverage to win just because, you know, like it's not really, uh, it's not the patriotic duty right. that he's making it right. out to be, but he thinks so. So in that way, he kind of sees Rosalind as, you know, uh, on a, a higher pedestal than he is yeah. that like, well, you know, she's a piece of work, but you know, she wouldn't steal an election. You know, she's, Right. She comes by her principles, honestly, at least. Um, and it kind of also lets you know that he didn't necessarily expect to win. You know, it wasn't a foregone conclusion sure. for him. You know, it was maybe less of a conclusion. Like maybe Rosalind and Zarek saw the writing on the wall more quickly than Baltar did. And he's still thinking thinking of it as anybody's game. Um yeah. And he didn't really realize how far he pulled ahead, you know? Yeah. Um, so then the the other aspect is you have g- good old Gaeta, who's Mr. <laughs> ruin everything Mr. Check everybody. and recheck. At, but this yeah. is his job, right? Like, like he's right. in charge of like the computer systems and, and navigational, yep. you know, systems and all this stuff like yep. it's his job to check and recheck and right. double recheck you know or well and and i i you i noticed too that consistently when there are rebellions he gets left out <laughs> well and that, that was the other he thing don't I was say, ask right? him to so, join in the rebellion so, so after <laughs> after the last time when uh d helped Rosalind escape right with lee yeah like Gator sort of hinted that he might have been okay with helping out. There. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. He like covers when Ty asks him about it, he covers, he doesn't say, Oh, D did it. Right. You know, he kind of pretends like he didn't. Right. Know and, but like then when they're in the bathroom, he sort of hints at mm-hmm. like, Hey, maybe, you know, maybe it would have been all right to let me in. But then mm-hmm. like, so the question becomes is like, yeah, is he this way because he's not included? Like, like is it like okay if you're not going to include me, then I'm going to like find you out, or right. or is he not included because he's this way? <laughs> like because right. he's right more like well, and I don't the way I don't get the impression that he's trying to find things out in order to like no no snitch on anybody though no you know no, like I don't either because like, I don't think that I don't think that he at least at this point knows anything about D's involvement. And I don't think he knows anything about Ty until Ty like gives himself away. You know? <laughs> um, yeah. No, what I'm, 
I guess what I mean by that is is more like because people don't take a risk on him as being a potential revolutionary. He like he, he, he doesn't he doesn't know to help. He doesn't them. have a yeah he doesn't really have the opportunity to right. like turn a blind eye or whatever. Like right. like maybe if Ty right. had just taken him over and said hey. There's we can't let yeah. Baltar win. But then there's the other thing of where he was Baltar's assistant. So like, yep. right. there's also... Well, there's there's the 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 admiration for Baltar there. Yeah. You know, that like, you know, I can see of all the characters, I can see Gata voting for Baltar, you know? So then sure. to assume that he would intentionally rig the election against him, I don't, I don't know. You know, like... Yeah. So maybe that is too much of a of a flight risk of we can't we can't open that up to him you know besides just being the guy who checks and rechecks and is the stickler for the rules you know and right. doing things by the book and everything um so he he brings his discovery to ty <laughs> which which maybe shows a bit of a lapse of judgment and get it but you know it's chain of command like i mean you right. can't blame him right. too much right. um and then immediately is suspicious of it. Like he doesn't even yeah. like take like five steps before he turns back and is like, right. "Yeah, there's something fishy going on here." Right. I don't even think Ty's finished talking by the time he's looking at him. Kind of right. funny. Like really. So then, like I'll take you'll take care of it. Uh huh. Okay. Immediately goes to Adama with it, uh, and then you know, cut to Adama explaining to Roslyn precisely how. Yeah. Uh, you know, everything was going wrong. And then right. Rosalind admitting immediately right. that right. she knew something was up, even if she didn't know exactly what it right. was. Oh. Right. Right. Sorry. Uh, so, yeah, I don't, I mean, the fallout, of course, is that Baltar learns that oh well so they they the excuse they make well uh, actually sorry so go back so adama and and Roslyn, you know as they're talking Roslyn is sort of giving her appeal of we can't you, you know it's too dangerous right. to let baltar win this one Mm-hmm. Which is another argument we've heard <laughs> recently. Yeah, uh, you know. right. The the there's a similarly, hopefully unfounded, apocalyptic feeling, in in a sense of like, yeah. it it doesn't party doesn't, and, and I'm I'm not necessarily saying one way or the other if this is true. Just that this is the sentiment of like, right, beliefs, parties, platforms, whatever doesn't matter in the face of we cannot let this person be in charge. Mm-hmm. Like that's just simply not, you know, and that's Rosalind's feeling is voicing that of like, I don't care what the, what the method is or, you know, how we get there or what else we do once we've done it, but whatever it takes to not, you yeah. know, let Baltar win. You and, know? and so Adama sort of goes into Pensive civil liberties, you know, uh, right. lawyer mode, right? Of yeah. like, well, if we do this, then we're criminals, unindicted criminals, maybe, but criminals nonetheless. 
And so, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And, and there's also like his declaration of like, yeah, you won't do it. <laughs> like, just, I know you, yeah. you won't do it, which, which is, I mean, maybe, maybe not quite as, uh, uh, uncorruptible as Baltar was saying, but like mm -hmm. Adama sort of is taking the same tack of like, yeah, you're, you're, you're too good of a person to allow this, mm -hmm. you know, election to stay rigged. Um, and ultimately they decide to correct it. Um, they sort of lie to make the correction say, Oh, it was a tabulation error. Mm -hmm. But, um, and, and, and Baltar certain man, what kind of tabulation error? And, and I was like, dude, take it. You won. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll find, you'll find that I can be magnanimous in victory. So, um, you know, ultimately Baltar does win. And mm -hmm. the conspiracy doesn't get out, um, but it is sort of dropped and, Mm -hmm. uh yeah Baltar wins yeah yep <laughs> um yeah and his first sort of executive orders begin settlement yeah um well right and so, we get go ahead. well before that though we get um we get the we haven't seen him much with the other six um Gina the prisoner six yeah. Yes. Um, but Did, we get had, him visiting her. Have they her actually sent her name? I don't know that they ever do, really. Um, that's I, I call her Gina. But um, no, and I've I've seen that in the transcripts. I don't know too. that. Like I, but I don't know that they ever that he like ever calls her that, like in the show or anything. Um, but anyway, um, so you get him kind of starting to make his excuses about. Well, I'm going to be very busy now and won't have much time for, you know, the likes of you and everything, um, but hopes that they can sort of reconnect once they're, you know, settled more comfortably on, on New Caprica. And she kind of, you know, says that she's not interested in going down there, um, which, you know, Baltar's now very, after not hardly caring about it at all, now he's very firm, like we're all going there. Everyone like this is now like a, you know, thing that he's a mission that he has to force everyone to settle on this planet. Um, but so the part that, you know, is interesting to me is like the cutting between, I guess it's not especially subtle, but the cutting between, uh, he and Gina, um, you know, having, sex I guess for the first time it kind of seems like she hasn't really wanted to be close to him after all the abuse that she had like she's been we've seen her kind of like shy away from that mm -hmm. um but they do you know get together here and then you're cross-cutting between that and him being sworn in so you know right all Rosalind's fears it's like he's I guess the unsubtle thing is he's literally in bed with the enemy that like right. he is. Well, and, and you know, refutes his claims of patriotism. Right. I mean, right. this is, you know, anything that he says about being patriotic and, and upholding the 
colonies and the fleet is out the window when you're, like you said, sleeping with the enemy. So, right. Yeah. Right. Right. And, and her, you know, her accusation, if like, if Zarek's accusations about her, you know, the corruption aboard, you know, Galactica and about in, in Roslyn's team was founded, well, then equally her accusations of Baltar's, you know, lying and, and treachery are, you know, accurate as well. Um, sure. So, yeah. So you're kind of getting him, you know, uh, with Gina while you're sort of, you know, at the same time they're, they're swearing him in and, you know, having him take the oath and everything. Um, and then, and then it, and then it cuts to her listening to this, you know, and, you know, sitting naked in the dark, kind of contemplating the, the bomb, which Baltar lovingly sent to her. Um, yeah. And she uh, sets it off. Yeah. On, you know, so he gets to start his uh, presidency with another uh, devastating, you know, <sighs> act of violence. And Which you pointed out before we started recording, you mentioned that parallels the beginning of the series and kind of how uh, Rosalind got started as president. Sure. Well, yeah, and I was thinking more of just even oaths themselves. Like, mm. you know, the way that Rosalind has sort of a hitch in her voice, right? Like, and, yeah. and is, is kind of, uh, I don't, I don't know the right way to say it, but sort of the way that like, sort of the weight of the office mm-hmm. feels on her. Whereas, whereas Baltar is much more sort of self-righteous and mm-hmm. whatnot about it. But then immediately, yeah, like you said, like, I mean, it, the bomb goes off and and yeah it's literally the first thing that he has to deal with right um right and it takes out several ships right uh so yeah i mean very yeah devastating well, from a loss of life from a loss of ships you know uh and so you get adama coming into him and sort of explaining, oh, you know, this is, this is the bomb that was stolen from your lab and it's stolen yeah. from your lab. Yeah. And again, like, obviously he knows that's not the mm-hmm. case, but I mean, Hey, he, uh, yeah, he doesn't say anything. So, no, and you you get that sense of how quickly, like, if this had happened before, would Baltar have been arrested and charged with, you know, all these things? And it's like, is it now that he's the president, you can't mm. accuse him of these things? You know, like, I, you, you get the sense that Adama at least suspects that the bomb wasn't stolen. Um. I do anyway. I don't know whether that's true or not. That's just the feeling I have. Um, But, uh, 
you know, it doesn't, it doesn't lead to any sort of accusation or confrontation. Um, so yeah, and, and if Baltar didn't have the weight of the office as he took the oath, he has it more so when he's talking to Adam, Adama, you know, and you get, uh, you know, the, the emotion coming through of what, you know, he has to deal with now. Um, sure. Although the fact that even he says, like, when Adama says, maybe the asylums are going to attack again, and he kind of says, no, I don't think so. Like, even that is, like, a, an unselfconscious kind of giveaway of, like, he knows this isn't a prelude to anything. It was Gina, you know. Right. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, he... You know. He definitely knows. So, like, if you were if you were paying attention, you could see that as, like, the giveaway, but it doesn't really go anywhere, you know. Yeah. All right, so... We can try to like maybe go through real quick. So then, then we cut to a year later, right? Yeah. A year in office. I love a, I love a, I love a good time jump. Well, and and it's when it's done well. You know, it's in the same. It's they're still in Colonial One. Colonial One has moved. We find out, mm -hmm. but Baltar seems not to have. <laughs> um, <laughs> right in a year, yeah. Uh, he's at the same desk. Mm -hmm. Um. Well, now there's like a half naked woman, you know, in the bed behind him mm -hmm. in his in his chamber or whatever. Um and yeah, so you have Baltar not really sure what he's been doing as president since then. Uh they've they've apparently completed, you know, the settlement of New Caprica. Uh he's sort of busy womanizing and taking drugs. Mm -hmm. uh, Gaeta is now his assistant or like mm -hmm. chief of staff or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. And is sort of trying to get him to do things, but, right. you know, right. not very successfully. Well, no. And, you know, the impression I have is the bloom is off that rose of like, you know, right. whatever whatever the admiration that used to be in his, you know, when he would talk about, Oh, I wish Baltar was here, you know, or, Oh, I'm looking forward to working with you. All that kind of like the fanboy thing is gone, you know? Sure. And it's now it's this kind of weary, like, all right, Mr. President, can we wake up and you got to talk to the union mm -hmm. and they're really not asking for anything unreasonable and like all this kind of stuff. And, you know, he knows he's just going to get, dumped with it at the end, which he does, you know? Right. Um, and it's just a kind of drudgery of trying to convince Baltar to at least wake up enough to say something about it. Right. Um, but I want to point out too some of the, the details of the way the scene is. Cause you know, it's like, there's that long push into his head and then it pushes back out when it's like a year later Sure. and things that are different about the office because um, the whiteboard is gone and in a in place of it there's a big portrait of Baltar <laughs> <So, Right. laughs> like where we used to count the souls of the living 
you know, and, and subtract the dead. Now we have his sort of, you know, presidential portrait. Mm -hmm. Um, and actually something I didn't notice for like a bunch of times that I watched it was, um, the, the, the women that he has, you know, uh, hanging around are at the end of the, the episode with him when his sort of staff is standing there. So I think the implication is that this is like an intern situation. Like this is like, oh. not just, not just that I have like, you know, prostitutes in or something, but like, it's, you know, he's sleeping with his staff basically. Like, you know, these are, yeah you know, members of his, you know, office. Um, so anyway, just little details that like that kind of let you know, like, so we were talking about Rogue One before we started filming and <laughs> uh, filming, recording, and um, about how like sometimes you don't need giant amount of backstory if you have good writing and good acting that sure. kind of implies backstory without having to go into all of it. I feel like this one year later section is a really good example of that, of like a short little scene with Baltar in his office kind of tells you everything you need to know about, <laughs> about what what's kind of a president. Year. Yeah. Like what kind of a president was he for the last year? Sure. And you can fill in the blanks, but it gives you those details that just let you know, they give you that impression of how things have gone. Um, so, and sure. I think that's probably true for all the different little vignettes, but that one in particular, I feel like is really effective. Sure. Yeah, and so speaking of all the little vignettes, like you get Starbuck and Sam. So, you know, Sam's playing Pyramid, but he's also sick. And you have Starbuck coming over and trying to, like, get him back into bed and, you know, taking care of him. Yeah. Um, she's let her hair grow out mm -hmm. uh, and is sort of and, trying, yeah. trying to find... You know, like she brings Doc Cottle in to, you know, look at Sam and he says there's really nothing he can do and there's no antibiotics. So then she goes, she goes off to, you know, so I guess the union rally sort of distracts her and she goes in there and sees that like Ty has now come down with Ellen and, you know, is no longer on Galactica and they're like best buddies now. They're like, oh, so happy to see yeah. you. and. You know. Right. All this, what happened between Ty, it kind of, again, yeah. hints at there's story there that we don't um, know, you know, between them. And then, like, Ty like sort Ellen's of lets it about, slip uh, that, that, you know, she might be able to get medicine. Sorry, I'm just sort of taking these through and then we can talk about, like, the others. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. You know, Starbuck sort of lets it, or uh, Ty lets it slip that, you know, Starbuck might be able to get some medicine from Lee on the Pegasus because they're, you know, they, they're sort of hoarding medicine for the um, members of the fleet, uh, mm -hmm. you know, members of the military. So she gives Lee a call. So you've got Lee and D mm -hmm. and presumably a couple other people on the Pegasus, but not many, like literally, much. literally skeleton crew. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, just sort of hanging out and, and, you know, Starbucks trying to convince him to get medicine um, there. Uh, so meanwhile, back on Caprica, again, you've got uh, in the Union Hall there, the, the one stirring up the pot, so to speak, 
um, Arkali and Tyrrell, which is is like per like yeah. Who of course who's the union leader gonna be? It's gonna be the chief yeah. of the deck, right? Like right. right. He is the guy who not only has experience with the machines and getting things to run, but also with the people who work them, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's had yeah. to deal with people and attitudes and and the work or lack of work that they do and all of that so that makes sense Callie as we noted before is like nine months pregnant so Mm -hmm. somewhere in in along the way there they uh got together presumably I mean they're on stage together and seem to be together right right that's that's a pretty strong implication certainly Mm -hmm. um meanwhile Roslyn is in the schoolhouse with Maya Right. And Hera. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean, Maya and Rosalind are teaching. Hera's just sort of off to the side there as a very young attendee. I don't know. I, I don't mm-hmm. know if student's the right word because like seems maybe too young right. for whatever. But um, Rosalind seems very happy in her role as mm-hmm. a teacher, like back to her roots and and sort mm-hmm. of doing what she does best. Uh, and right. then Adama right. is still up in the Galactica, uh, also with the skeleton crew, and and with things sort of fading, right? Like you get like the flickering lights, yeah. uh, just kind of showing you that you know we're we're nearing some sort of end of shelf life for the Galactica, yeah, um, yeah. or at least that there's not enough crew to even sort of take care of some of these basic right. maintenance tasks, like right. Right. fixing lights and stuff. Um, and, and possibly right. not enough materials because, because right. we also hear um, there's sort of an announcement right over the loudspeakers about rations and food mm. and lining up. And um, again, you get the sense that the union is not very happy with the way things are mm-hmm. going. So um, that almost always has to do with money um, or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever they're getting paid in. Maybe it's, you know, paid in food or whatever, you know, rations. Right. But ho- however they're getting paid, it's not enough. Um, right. Right. And it it recalls all this stuff when they found the planet of Roslyn saying, well, we obviously can't settle there because not only should we go find Earth, but like, it's it would it's almost barren it would be a tough place to live you know like it really is not a good planet for settling on right. to begin with and like yeah so all of baltar's kind of shining city on the hill stuff is you know not the reality of you know they were all very eager to uh to settle there but it's clearly a difficult existence um sure you know and and but for the Galactica too, the question of is there a need to keep patrolling because Adama says, you know, they haven't heard anything from the Cylons in a year, and and he says what the weird part is they've been settled here longer than they were running in the first place, which is like a weird sure notion for us as an audience to get our minds around of okay, all the time that we saw in the show was less than the time right. they've been right. it was like settled on this planet. Only a few months or something, even though it was a right. span of, you know, two seasons and a miniseries. Right. <laughs> right. Um, right. 
Right. So they've been so long that they've kind of, they're not expecting any trouble at this yeah. point. Um, Which is, of course, precisely when trouble arrives. Yes. When you least expect it. Um, so out of the, so you get D is the one who sort of notices Andreas which is appropriate uh, mm -hmm. that something, something's coming in. We can't, we don't know what it is yet. And then suddenly, you know, Cylon fleet pops into view. And yeah. so in the matter of a split second, a few split seconds, maybe um, you have Lee and Adama uh, sort of deciding like we, we need to go now with the ships mm -hmm and abandon the people on the planet there's mm -hmm. not enough time to save them you know to bring them up or whatever and right well and that they're we so can't fight. thinly manned they can't even yeah. really defend themselves let alone the planet so yeah right so uh so they do and they take you know the two battle stars along with all of the uh, civilian ships that are left and disappear mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. on uh, New Caprica. However, uh, they're not so lucky. They they are no. invaded uh, and without a shot being fired, Baltar turns over yep. the. Uh, they, well, he surrenders. Yep. And uh, basically, so but. <laughs> At the head of the occupational, occupational, occupation force, um, uh -huh. not occupational, they're not working, they are occupying. Occupying. Um, is, of course, six, the six that Baltar mm -hmm. actually knew on right. uh, Caprica and Boomer. So, right. right. Uh, yeah. You get the right. You, you get the reuniting of Baltar and, and Caprica Six, and then, mm -hmm. um, I mean, this is this is Boomer, the Boomer, and right, and they're sort of saying like, "Hey, as long you you know, we've heard this before, right? As long as uh, you don't make any trouble, you'll be fine." Um, right. So. Baltar wants to not make trouble and right. we'll, we'll see what happens from here on out. But this is so, and again, of course, this is now the opposite of what we were told early in the episode by the mm -hmm. Cavill models of, you know, we've seen the error of our ways. Well, right. now they've tracked down the fleet and have right. occupied the planet that they settled on. And, right. Right, which begs all sorts of questions about what changed in the year that that we right. skipped for the Cylons too, you know? Right. Like so there's backstory we're missing for the the humans, but there's also this question of not only do they go back on what they said they were gonna do, but they come in with with Caprica Six and Boomer at their head. So like seemingly leading the you know, or at least in some authority role in among the Cylons. So like, you know, what has changed in their policies and their outlook on, you know, their relationship with the humans and everything. Yep. Um, so. So, yeah. Yeah. 
that's where that's where we are. That's where we where where we leave it. It's a good it's a good cliffhanger. Um, yeah, because they're just so completely and totally screwed, and that's right. kind of like what I what I was getting at with the title that you know we chose this time is like like you said, no shots fired. It's just well, this is you know this is where we're going and what i like about it, it completely changes the parameters of the show you know like it's no longer for two seasons it was you're being chased mm -hmm. and now it's like nope chase is over you know yeah. and it's you know now you need to figure kind of, out how to live with right, right. with them right right the war is over and now it's kind of more about survival i guess um so yep. on that bleak note <laughs> right well right that hopefully so, has no relationship to our own world um so we'll be back next time with a buffy episode and so we'll be talking about um our season recap for bsg right but we were also gonna include some discussion i think of the webisodes um yeah. that you know take place sort of between season two and season three so um mm -hmm. we can sort of include that uh discussion there as well and uh yeah we'll be back next week sounds good see you then